If you've ever been in the market for a new home, you know home shopping can be a lot. There's so much you don't know and so much you need to know. What are the neighborhoods like? What are the schools like? Who is the agent who knows the listing or neighborhood best? And why can't all this information just be in one place? Well, now it is on homes.com. As somebody who's been through this, I can tell you these features are so, so incredibly valuable. They've got comprehensive neighborhood guides and detailed reports about local schools, and their agent directory helps you see the agent's current listings and sales history. The area you live in is just as important as the house itself. You can get to know a neighborhood without ever setting foot in it. Say you're a really active person. You could find out about the nearest parks. Do they have a baseball field? Maybe you want to join a softball league like Chris and I play in. Also, Homes.com collaboration tools makes it easier than ever to share all this information with your family. It's a whole cul-de-sac of home shopping information all at your fingertips. Homes.com, we've done your homework. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. And first pitch, rushing! Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where fantasy becomes reality. Now here's Frank, Scott, and Chris. Boba Shett or Bobby Witt Jr.? Blake Snell or Hunter Green? Let's find out. Welcome into Fantasy Baseball today on Monday, February 20th. Happy President's Day for those that celebrate. Frank Stanfield joined by the Chris's. The Chris? Someone on Twitter said that the plural of Chris should be Chris. I kind of like that. So maybe I'll just do that. It's just like, here are here are the Chris. That doesn't that doesn't <laughs> make sense. I, like I get it. I, yeah. I get it. I, you know, it, it makes sense like with, you know, like moose, I guess. But like, I think Chris mm. is Chris's. I don't know. Could we have be like a murder of Chris's? Like, could we be like crows? I think that would work well. Oh, I like right. Brandon yeah. Lee and the Crow. That was one of my oh, all time growing up favorite movies. With that Brandon is Lee. so. That is a sick movie. Vote. I mean, there's a million movies that I haven't seen. The Crow is one that I've seen too many times. That's really that weird. That, it yeah, is, that is really weird. That that's the it is one. weird. Fire I've never up. seen that movie. Fire it up. It, it is highly recommended. So, yes, please go check it out. Uh, by the way, those are Towers in the Welsh. You know those guys. Today on the show, they are going head-to-head. We've got ADP battles, but they could actually choose the same answer if they want to. We've got some news, had a few signings, and some injuries. <laughs> Jacob DeGrom already hurt. And we've got mm-hmm. a new segment. What's the word with the Welsh, who is out there at different spring training camps. So we'll find out uh, what he's finding out, some little fun nuggets uh, from the opening weekend of spring training. Uh, But Towers, how's the weekend, buddy? How's everything? Good. I went roller skating on Friday. Nice. That was interesting. One of my friends wanted to go. Yeah, it's like a little pop-up thing near Barclays Center that uh, people were roller skating. I didn't fall, so I think that's a win. I'm not... I played hockey growing up. I'm a weird kid from South Florida who played hockey. And so, like, I'm pretty comfortable with wheels strapped to my feet. But roller skates, not so much. Not as much as, uh, you know, the, the inline skates. But I didn't fall. And at, at my age, that's that's a win. That that's Half a the one. battle, man. Staying on your feet while roller skating, roller blading, ice skating. I mean, yeah, totally. Get that done. Friday is so weird, man. Here in New York, it was 60 degrees during the day, 30 degrees yeah. at night. It's just like, it got real cold. What is going on? Anywho, who cares about the weather? Uh, Welsh out there at spring training camps. Baseball is back, kind of, almost. How's it yeah. going, bud? Yeah, I'm. Uh, I got to tell you, I'm shocked. I'm not like destroyed, burnt. Uh, funny enough, you say that. I started off the week in. 37 degrees going to camps and I stupidly wore shorts. It was 37 degrees on opening day on Wednesday, 
Funny enough, I was at Rangers camp when Jacob deGrom, I walked into the camp. It was 37 degrees. It had snowed the night before in my area, in Phoenix. It snowed on the mountains. And I walk in and they say, Jacob deGrom had a little thing. He wasn't going to go today. And I didn't blame it because there was wind. It was 37 degrees, but it has been like... 37 degrees up to 75 degrees today. I'm fried. I'm burnt. I've seen a lot of different stuff. I've seen a decent amount of players. And uh, I've also shared news and I've uh, had some misinformation news that I shared. And when we get to my segment, I can tell you about a player that apparently I shared some fake news and I talked to him about that. And he actually didn't realize that I was the cause of the fake news, and I'll tell you about that when we get to it. It was pretty funny. Very nice. All right. Well, we can't complain about the weather if the Welsh has snow down in Arizona. Uh, but Crazy. baseball is kind of back because this Friday, we will officially have spring training games going on. Friday, fe- February 24th. So it's a lot of fun. And then I think uh, first week of March, we've got the WBC. So it's going to be an awesome month leading up to the start of the baseball season as uh, Chris Towers is Stroking his cat. It's, it's great. She to wants see attention him. right now. <laughs> She's been ignoring me for hours. And this is the moment where she decides that I need to pick her up. You so. said the you WBC go. got brought up and she jumped up. So I think she was. She's a big, she's a big fan. Nice. Yeah, I, I don't blame her. I, I'm pretty sure your cat feeder goes off at 1130. I've just kind of 1130, right? Right on the dot. Yeah. yeah. So we'll probably hear that later on in the podcast. Let's get into some ADP battles. Players being drafted in a similar round on average using Fantasy Pros ADP. And yes, I have eliminated ESPN because it's just too different and it throws everything out of whack. So it's gone. Uh, I mean, you could go to Fantasy Pros and you could choose your different sources. I've gotten rid of ESPN. So we're using five other sources right now. And we'll start off with Bo Bichette versus Bobby Witt Jr. Thank you to those that uh, helped submit some of these. I, I crowdsourced on Twitter, and I believe this is one that I got from there. And I kind of like it because they're two similar players. Obviously, Bobby Witt is a little bit younger, but very, very similar skill sets. I think Bo Bichette's probably going to give you a better batting average, maybe a little bit more pop, but you're going to get more speed from Bobby Witt Jr. So, Welsh, we'll start with you this time. Are you taking Bobby Witt or Bo Bichette? I actually think this one is really, really tough. I've actually bounced back and forth a little bit uh, throughout the offseason around these two. Early on, having kind of following the NFBC trend of having Bobby Witt a little bit higher. I really still like Bo Bichette. And I, it's funny that there's a lot of conflicting stuff. There's a really interesting article that came out talking about just overall like athletic declines and how Bichette's speed has increasingly decreased if you will that's double negative where he's just like uh he's he's in the the idea of him stealing more bases is kind of fading away then he comes out in camp and talks about how he wants to run more he wants to make that more part of his game he struggled with some sliders last year still really nice and red on the baseball savant top uh six percent in hard hit percentage xba is up there but I don't believe we're going to have a massive uptick in stolen bases. Also, when you take a look at that roster, I just don't think that's the guy that you want built around it. That's not the player that you brought in Dalton Varsho who can do it. You've got Whit Merrifield who could do it. I just didn't see why the team would be overly aggressive when they're already in the bottom third of the league in stolen bases, why that's going to change a whole bunch. I love the batting average and I love what he can do, but Bobby Witt, I think statistically, is going to be on par, whether it's like, couple more homers for Bichette and maybe a grip more stolen bases for Bobby Witt. Bobby Witt also qualifies at third base, which I think is kind of a defier here because third base is bad. I was doing some positional breakdowns, positional breakdowns over on In This League this week, and we've done them here. You take a look at like what you get at the 15th first baseman compared to what you get as the 15th third baseman. It's not remotely close. Third uh, shortstop in general is also just so deep that – I think making like an early heavy commitment to a shortstop only guy really, really has to fit a certain mold here. And I'm excusing maybe some of the swing and miss and the contact issues with Bobby Witt, where I think that goes in favor of Bo Bichette. But I think all things considered, I think I can get three of the five categories in favor for Bobby Witt at a position that's a little bit better. So in my personal ranks, it's Bobby Witt over Bo Bichette. And uh, it is close. I do think Bo Bichette is still a really nice get but I just don't see why I would take him, especially when you have to take him around those third basemen that are really, really, really good. So I'm going to pass, and uh, my ring is going to Bobby Witt. Boom. I know Scott is not the biggest Bobby Witt Jr. fan, but somewhere he is smiling because he will love the fact that you brought up 
positional scarcity, specifically when it comes to third base. Towers, let's go to your uh, your way here. Bo Bichette, we know he needed a massive September last year to make the final line look respectable. Bobby Wood Jr., we've highlighted the OPS subpar last season, 722, but one of the fastest players, maybe the fastest player in baseball, there's a chance that he doubles up Bo Bichette in terms of steals this year. Uh, what yeah. do you think in Bo Bichette or uh, Bobby Witt Jr.? Yeah, I think it's fair to give Bobby Witt a pretty sizable edge in stolen bases. The The problem is I think Bo Bichette's probably got the, the edge. Uh, at least I think he's probably got the edge in the other four categories. I might be close in some of them, um, you know, specifically home runs, but I would think I, a lot of it does come down to like, safety versus upside. I think the the best case scenario for Bobby Witt is probably a little better. Although we've seen the best case scenario season for Bo Bichette. And, you know, obviously a lot of it was lineup context, but you know, if he's going to, if he can drive in and score 223 combined runs again, like he did in 2021, it's going to be hard for Bobby Witt to have a higher upside now as a, you know, I think, so when you talk about upside, I think it's probably, player-specific Bobby Wood has more upside, but the team context matters. And I, I just think all around, I'll give Bo Bichette a slight edge. I think the biggest thing Bobby Wood has going for him is that third base eligibility. You know, I'm looking at the, like, auction calculator on uh, fan graphs for the bat projections, and they have each of the top 12 shortstops being worth $15, they have the number 12 third baseman worth $4.6. My cat's very upset about that. If you can hear her I think scream your cat's in the a Bobby Witt fan. I'm going to let her out of the room now. Uh, fair enough. You brought up the team context. The Blue Jays were fourth in run scored last season. The Kansas City Royals all the way down at 24th. I get why people want Bobby Witt with a third base eligibility. Uh, I'm just talking myself into Bichette this offseason, man, but it is razor close, and that's exactly why we're doing this. But you know, man. let me throw this at you real quick. Yeah. Because oh, let's let's just for an instance say that uh, Bo Bichette does take four of the categories. But what you have to really look at separation on the category. So let's say Homers is within two or three. That's not enough of a separator. Let's say run an RBI. Now, if he's a if he's Bobby if he's a Boba Chef from a couple of years ago, this could be a really big marker. But if you want to just kind of get into like granular stuff of Bobby Witt progressing and Boba Chef kind of being median where he was last year, you take away runs and RBI because they're within five or six of each other. It's still kind of null and void. So now you, what you're coming down to the biggest differences is batting average versus stolen bases. Those are the big, dramatic, categorical things if you really look at big differences. And and I mean, I mean, in this day and age, we just have to look at stolen bases. Unless you believe that the contact rate is a problem with Bobby Witt long-term, then okay, I can buy that. But he wasn't a big strikeout guy. I mean, he had an under, um, an under 300 Babbitt. You know, if you don't believe in progression on the player, I really think it comes down to batting average versus stolen bases here. And I'm going to take the risk at a bad position with a significant amount of more stolen bases than I am going to try to pair batting average together. But I get it. Again, it's just, you know, that's a really deep position, Frank, at shortstop with Bo Bichette, and it's not at third base with Bob. Yeah, that's that's the biggest thing is anytime I take a shortstop in the first couple of rounds, we've talked about this a lot, but like every time I come up the, the next like eight rounds, my top player is a shortstop. And so it's always just like from a team building perspective, taking a shortstop that early who doesn't have multi eligibility is it can, it can limit you a little bit. I, I, I think that's enough to make it close. Like if they were both just shortstop eligible, I'd probably knock Bobby Witt down a few more spots, but yep. you know, for me in the overall rankings, they're separated by two spots. It's 17 versus 19. So it's not a, a significant edge for Boba Shett. Yeah, no, I, I agree totally. I think it's batting average versus steals. Uh, you know, Bichette could have the advantage by 30 points in batting average. Witt could have the advantage by 20 steals, 25 steals. Yeah. That's not, you know, over overrating how fast he is. Uh, but yeah, razor thin Bobby Witt versus Bo Bichette. Let's get into Corbin Carroll versus Eloy Jimenez. You know, if we got the Welsh on here, I got to pin somebody up against uh, <laughs> Corbin Carroll and see how much does he actually love him. And it's interesting because I know Towers has both of these guys as breakouts this season. So we'll start with you this time, uh, Towers. Who do you like more? Eloy at 67th overall or Corbin Carroll at 77th, around 6'7 range? This is a really tough one. And looking at my rankings, I do have Eloy. Two spots higher in my outfield rankings. They're separated by about a round in the overall rankings. And 
in looking at that, I'm not sure I love the way I have that set up. I do think like taking Eloy, he's just in terms of production, I think he's a really sure thing. You know, what we've seen from him is outside of 2021, the last three seasons, he's been very, very good. And I think he'll continue to be a guy who's a good source of power, a good source of batting average, a great source of RBI. I think he could, you know, step in and, and be what Jose Abreu has been for a long time. I think that's actually a, a really good comp for him, just an outfield version of Jose Abreu or hopefully DH. Um, Carroll probably has more upside because Eloy, the play discipline is never going to be great. He doesn't strike out much. He also doesn't walk very much. So, you know, he's not going to score runs. He's a bad base runner. So he's kind of just a, like even the best version of Eloy Jimenez is probably like a three category guy, maybe three and a half. Whereas Corbin Carroll could legitimately be a five category contributor and a very, very good one across the board. So it, it's sort of an an upside versus floor thing again, although with Elo Jimenez, you know, the floor is pretty low because of injuries. So I'm kind of talking myself into going Corbin Carroll here, but it's it's gonna be very close. You know, I, I mentioned the ADP, Eloy at 67th, Carroll at 77th, but in the drafts that I do. I feel like those guys have been a lot closer, and maybe even in some drafts you see Corbin Carroll go ahead of Eloy Jimenez. Eloy, we've talked about it, Chris, you mentioned he only played 139 of 324 available games over the past two years, but when we saw him the final three months, he was amazing once again. And then Corbin Carroll, arguably the top prospect in baseball. So, Welsh, where are you going with this one? Eloy versus Corbin Carroll. Isn't it a funny experiment, too? I love this type of stuff. This stuff I've been doing, you know, for my entire career of doing fantasy is like you get in and you, you, you know, you've done your ranks, you've done your research, and then you just start like talking about it with people. And then you're just like, yeah, eh, I don't know if I like my own process when you just <laughs> yep. stare at it and you just like start talking through it. And I have the same thing that happens all the time when I'm looking at players and it just really comes down to it. Well, I actually think when you're, doing, is, when you're doing rankings, it's much more of a holistic process, totally. at least for me. It's it's you know, trying to get the the whole player landscape, but then you start to get granular as you go through, you know, your drafts and, and podcasts and stuff. And you start to like, uh, well, you know, maybe I'm talking myself into this. Well, and a lot of us will get like early on and we'll do a whole bunch of stuff. But then when you get into application and you start mm-hmm. like drafting and you think about team yeah. construction, that should play into it. I think it's actually kind of a hole that happens in fantasy ranking a lot is it just becomes this singular focus thing. But you should think about team context, your own team context. You should think about position scarcity. That should play a role also as your own habits into ranks. And I think sometimes that kind of gets dissuaded from it. But like getting back to it, I think this one is crazy crazy close because i agree it's not a floor is lava situation necessarily with eloy it's just kind of like going back to like a player like buxton it's just like this guy's great when he's out there he's just Mm -hmm. not out there a whole bunch i mean the guy has not played 100 games since 2019 which was his rookie year and that's a problem we also have not seen elite elite power numbers come out of there because he doesn't play all the games uh, 31 homers in his rookie year was fantastic but the average has kind of dipped a little bit last year, it picked back up, but it's kind of swayed. It's kind of got an every year thing. My problem with this comes down to like team construction. Again, Corbin Carroll is more volatile, but he's a five category player. When I'm putting these teams together, I am a little bit more risk averse than people would expect for rookies overall, but a guy like Corbin Carroll, who is theoretically set to lead off for the Arizona Diamondbacks, one of the fastest players, top 1% in the league in sprint speed. I've said it here a million times, 200 plus ice with every single stop in the minors, even into the majors, except once, which is rookie ball his first year, he can hit. He can run. He's theoretically going to lead off. And you're going to have guys like Jake McCarthy uh, and Cattell Marte hitting behind you. As fun as Eloy Jimenez is, I think I'm going to go with a, a five-category player that has proven it across the board on uh, in the minor leagues. I, I've said this, one of my bold takes, I think he's going to lead this team in stolen bases over McCarthy. And I'm going to stick with that. And I know it's a little bit of a homer play. I'm trying to get out of like the homeristic thing that people are going to put into me. But in this situation, I in my own ranks, I have Carroll over Eloy Jimenez and I'm going to stick with it. And to 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 be clear, you said top one percent in sprint speed. He was the fastest player. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Last yeah, yeah, exactly. season, hundred percent percentile. And it was like a there was like a little bit of a gap in. I mean, it. I, I hate that they do it by like speed. Sprint speed is like feet per second, but he's like, I think like half a second or yeah, whatever the, whatever the 
half a foot ahead of number two. I don't know what the actual, <laughs> I think it's a half a foot ahead. Yeah. 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 I'm really excited too, to see him get into some action because I was, I've said this here before too. I was with him in November and he looks physically better than ever. Cause I saw him as an 18 year old coming up with the diamondbacks. Like he's jacked. He's jacked for his size. Of course it's getting there. I want to see him in some game action. I have not been to diamondbacks camp because it's like a big drive. I'm going to do it this week. I'm hopefully going to see some BP action and him running some drills and maybe doing some live pitching. But I think there's going to be a lot to get excited about. And this team is kind of, you know, putting it in the forefront. But, you know, hey, Eloy is a big power bat. 35 plus homers is nothing to screw with because if you can get a, you know, big run in RBI, which for whatever reason, bat just a poor runner, he just never gets those run totals. If he could be a four category player, then we're kind of like looking at, I mean, in theory, he could be like an Austin Riley in the outfield. Like we could really see that. He just doesn't and he isn't because he doesn't play long enough. But that would be a second round, easy second round talent. He could reach his uh, really, really hope they just stick him in DH and don't. Don't let him play the outfield. He's so awkward out there. Like, it just feels like maybe it's just playing the results, but it just feels like he's bound to get hurt when he's out in the outfield. The roster seems like it's set that way. I mean, you got Robert, yeah. you got Ben Intendi, and then Colos. And I'm forgetting who the platoon with Colos would look like right now, but it looks like that they are trending in that direction, which is the best thing ever. Yes. Yeah. I remember a couple of years ago, Eloy tried to rob a home run and he yeah. just kind of like threw his arm over the fence and he tore his pec. Yeah, that it's was like, when he tore his pec. Yeah. yeah just, <laughs> just don't do that. Don't put Eloy Jimenez in the outfield. He just, he's, you remember the boat that got stuck in the Suez Canal? That's what it <laughs> oh, feels the bit, Yeah, the bit. That's what it feels <laughs> like when Eloy Jimenez is like running the bases or playing the outfield. It's just like, it feels like it takes him forever to turn, you know? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Uh, you know, Towers, I'm with you, man. It's like, I have Eloy one spot higher. We just did our outfield preview. And I think no, I out- just made the switch. The outfielder I said I want most in drafts is Eloy. But I think if I was actually on the clock, I would take Corbin Carroll over him. So I'm such a fraud. It is definitely a depends on what you've already drafted kind of situation. Because like, let's say you took Bobby Witt over Bo Bichette in the second round of that same draft. You probably want Eloy Jimenez. Yeah. You know, you probably want someone who's going to give you a, a little more of that run production. You may not need the stolen base potential. Even if you did like a, like a, I I don't know how you would pull this together, but let's just, you know, bear with me. You got like a Trey Turner and a Manny Machado or something like that. Mm -hmm. And that was put together. You know, you kind of really locked in your stolen bases. You're missing outfield. You might want to go with maybe a little bit more of a power solid floor bat than you would a little bit of volatility. But if you started off your draft with like a Freddie Freeman and a, whoever, you know, Mookie Betts or whatever it is, Vladimir Guerrero, or I guess you wouldn't do that. You know, if it's Rafael Devers and Freddie Freeman, you want some more speed because you have so much floor on your corner infield. Corbin Carroll makes a ton of sense. All right, let's take our first break. Before we do that, make sure to join our Fantasy Baseball Today Facebook group. That's facebook.com slash groups slash Fantasy Baseball Today. You can ask any question that you have coming up. Keeper, Dynasty, draft-related, ADP, and uh, we have a bunch of people answering questions on there. It's a really fun community, so make sure to join up on our Facebook group. Let's take a break. We'll be back right after this. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. Worn by players like Michael Harris to meet the demand of elite ball players, the New Balance Fuel Cell 4040 V7 is a versatile option. The 4040 V7 is built for the athlete who needs responsiveness and ability to cut and run at their full speed. The model features a fuel cell foam underfoot and a synthetic and mesh upper to provide breathability, comfort, and a snug fit as you round the bases. The fuel cell midsole features nitrogen-infused foam specifically designed to propel athletes forward. Learn more about the 4040 at newbalance.com. All right, let's get into a few pitching 
position battles here. ADP battles. We've got Tyler Glass now going up against Tristan McKenzie. Glass now at 83rd overall. McKenzie at 85th. This is the round 7-8 turn. We know the deal with Glass now. He was returning from Tommy John surgery last year. He made three starts, only 11 and two-thirds innings. But the last time we saw him for an extended period of time, he looked like one of the top five pitchers in baseball back in 2021. And then Tristan McKenzie finally managed to stay healthy. He put it all together and he had that season that we thought he was capable of. But now the ADP is much higher than it has been in years past. Walsh, we're coming back to you, McKenzie or Tyler Glasnow. I, I got to say, I actually think this one is really tough. This because these are two you know different beasts that you're dealing with here. Obviously, you know Tristan McKenzie put together um, a really really solid season, ate up 190 innings, which is fantastic. Did not walk a whole bunch, maintained an under three ERA. Though the underlining you know xFIP got a little bit closer to four. I believe his Sierra was about three and a half, which again was better than that. But the K numbers were a little bit low, and I got to tell you. I chase strikeouts a lot. Um, I do think what McKenzie can provide you is some more stability in your rotation. So again, I don't want to do this like we did with the last one, but there is some contingency that you could look at. Maybe you've got a little bit more volatility in what you've put together and you're looking for, you know, again, stability. You're looking for some wins, guys who could go deeper. Strikeouts aren't the biggest issue. I think McKenzie kind of fits that bill. If maybe I got like a Sandy Alcantara and I'm looking for a little bit more upside on my pitching, I think Tyler Glass now fits that role. He had a 38% K percentage last year, which K minus walk percentage was over 30%, which is like absurd. A 13K per nine. And for context of like the last four years prior to that, the guy never had an under, I, I want to say 11. He had a 10.96 K per nine, but it was like 14, 12. It's huge high strikeouts. The last two years, the walks were under three per nine, which I love. The ERA has been phenomenal. The thing is, is he's just not going to put up. He's probably going to be 40 or 50 innings short of McKenzie, but I think he could outstrike out McKenzie this year. And I think the wins might even be in there. So you know what? I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with Tyler Glass now on this one. Even though I know the innings are gonna be a little bit lower, it's a little bit more volatile, but I'm just always a little bit concerned with those low strikeout guys. Uh, similar to what you talked about, Frank, in one of the episodes where it's like Sandy has a little maybe less wiggle room. We could theorize that maybe Sandy is going to strike out more batters and be more aggressive there. But sometimes when you have those low strikeouts, there's just a little bit less variance you have in wiggle room for some of these pitchers. And I feel like McKenzie kind of fits that role. Tyler Glasnow does not. Tyler Glasnow, Dustin May, those type of guys, it's like crazy, huge strikeout numbers that just need to be healthy. And if projections live out for 150 plus innings, I think Tyler Glasnow is actually going to be a really big deal. So I am uh, team Glasnow. The last time we saw Glasnow in 2021, he was averaging 19.3 fantasy points per game on CBS Sports, tied for third most among starting pitchers. And McKenzie, just something I like to point out, people don't realize this, he is a great whip pitcher because he allows a lot of fly balls, but mm -hmm. actually doesn't give up a ton of hits or home runs. Since 2020, he has a 195 batting average against that is third best among starting pitchers with at least 300 innings pitched during that time. Towers, you're up. Mackenzie or Tyler Glass now? I, I guess the cop-out answer is neither at this price. I just, I can't really, I don't think the upside's there with McKenzie. Uh, he feels a little like 2020, 2019 Jose Barrios to me, where like mm -hmm. the, he's got really good gifs and like the curveball looks awesome. And so I think people get more excited about him than they should. That's not to say he's not a good pitcher. I just think he's probably like not super helpful with ERA. Probably not going to get you the kind of strikeouts you need. But comparing him to Glass now, I, I just I can't get on board with Tyler Glass now as a seventh round pick given his injury history. He hasn't thrown more than 88 innings since 2018. Uh, he's thrown 268 innings total since getting traded to the Rays, which I think was in 20... Is it 2018 or 2019? God, I'm trying to remember. 2018. Uh, 2018. So five seasons, 268 and a third innings. Um, I don't know. Maybe the Tommy John surgery fixed it. Maybe it was just, you know, because he blamed the sticky stuff ban for needing Tommy John surgery, although he also... Missed four months with a forearm strain in 2019, but maybe this fixed it and he's just going to be fine. He's going to have like a Justin Verlander season. I think that's within the realm of possibility, but it's just too much risk to take on at that kind of price. So if I have to pick one of them, I'll just take Tyler Glass. Now. I think he's a much better pitcher, 
Uh, but I, I don't like either of them at their current price. You know, it's actually a, a really good point that you're bringing up Towers too. is I don't think I've drafted either one of these, and I have done a gajillion mock drafts and best balls. Mm-hmm. I've yeah. done a gajillion things. I don't think one – maybe one time I took glass now – I don't think I've ever taken McKenzie. They're just not really targets. And you kind of get into a rhythm when you're drafting too about like, what is it that you do? Maybe it's, you know, hitters the first three rounds mm-hmm. and then you do a pitcher here. And that rhythm really never flows into Tyler Glassdown and McKenzie unless they fall. So that's probably a good point to bring up when we're and, uh, battling them. And historically, this is a range of pitcher that doesn't really represent a great return on investment. And you can kind of see it in these two guys, the, the kind of, third, fourth through 10th round in starting pitcher historically tends to not be a great return on investment. It's you, you get the guys who have ace upside or have perceived ace upside like Tristan McKenzie, or you have the guys who are definitely aces, but have like no injury or, or no innings floor like Tyler glass now. And those guys tend to get pushed up uh, because we start, you know, we can talk ourselves into why things are going to work out. And historically, you know, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth round pitchers don't tend to be that much better than 11th, 12th, 13th round pitchers, which is they're better, but they're it's usually not worth the uh, the differential in price. Frank, can I ask this? What was the can, do you have a couple pitchers that are right around them? Because I feel like you would name three. If you name us four pitchers, I will bet you three of those four towers. and I are probably both like, yeah, we'd probably rather have those guys. So I've got right around there is Robbie Ray, Nestor Cortez, George Kirby, Kirby, yeah. yes, Logan Gilbert, Joe Musgrove goes just ahead of them. But I was yes. just about to say, I, you know what I was waiting for? I was waiting for Musgrove. I almost set it up because I yeah. knew yes. Musgrove was around there. I would rather Musgrove hands down than those two. Yeah. Framber's probably in that same range. You Darvish. Also Framber. Yeah. You uh, all those guys I would rather have. I, th- I think I agree with you guys for the most part. If I'm choosing between these two and I just looked at my rankings again, it's like you got to get battle tested to do these rankings before you kind of figure out, all right, I got to yeah. make some moves. I think I would rather have glass now just in a vacuum. I think there's more upside and I have to make sure that I have a pretty safe SP one. And if he's my two, I have to make sure I have a pretty safe SP three. Like that's just, that's the game theory aspect of drafting Tyler glass now. But even if he gives you 130 or 140 innings, I think he's probably Going to be better than McKenzie on a per start basis. That is uh, Tyler Glass now. But again, that's why we're doing it. It's super close. Two more starting pitchers with tons of strikeouts. Blake Snell, 114th overall versus Hunter Green, 115th overall. You know, I kind of thought Green versus Lodolo, low-hanging fruit. Eh, let's do some volatility with a bunch of strikeouts involved with these two pitchers going in round 10. Blake Snell uh, last year got off to a rough start. What else is new? And then over his final 17 starts, he looked like one of the top 12 starting pitchers in all of baseball. 2.53 ERA, 1.11 whip, 12.9 K per nine. Once again, changed up the pitch mix, started throwing his slider more, which why doesn't Blake Snell just do that all the time? And then Hunter Green, flamethrower. He is amazing to watch. He's so fun. He throws over 100 miles per hour with the fastball. He's got the wipeout slider. Another one who finished incredibly strong. His final eight starts, 1.75 ERA, 0.97 whip for Hunter Green. Towers, we'll start this time with you, Blake Snell, or Hunter Green. You are muted, sir. I'm, I'm glad you're going first, too, by the way. <laughs> I do have Blake Snell ranked a little bit higher, but it's it's sort of annoying to do that because it's Blake Snell and we know how one inconsistent he's been, but also to just like, he really, you can't count on many innings from him. I mean, even at his best, the 2018, when he had a, what was it? A one eight, nine ERA and had like the best luck of his career. He was averaging fewer than six innings per start. Like that's just like, he needed everything to go right to not even get to six innings per start. And so I just think like you're never going to be able to rely on him for, you know, even 160 innings, I feel like. And so I do have him ranked ahead. I feel like he's a little more of a sure thing than Hunter Green. I think Hunter Green, he, despite being probably the hardest starting, starting pitcher in major league history, he might just be a one pitch pitcher at this point in his career. Because that fastball got hit really, really hard. Now, he got a lot of whiffs with it. It's a good swing and miss pitch. But he also gave up 17 home runs with it uh, by the baseball savant. Uh, 
run values metric, he was like 30th percentile in run value with the four seam fastball. Mm. And he effectively doesn't have a changeup. He threw 116 of them last year, 5% of his pitches. It would be a bet on upside. It would be a bet on youth. And I think that's a reasonable one, especially because Blake Snell's ceiling is going to be capped. But I'm pretty skeptical of Hunter Green. I do have him as a bust at his price. Yeah, look, I think if you just want to simplify this, you could say Hunter Green is a fly ball pitcher who pitches in the worst ballpark in all of baseball, Great American Ballpark. And where is the run support coming from with the Cincinnati Reds, right? At least, if nothing else, Blake Snell pitches for a really good team in the San Diego Padres. Welsh, where are you at? Snell versus Green. Yeah, I think this one is close. Um, I think I've actually probably drafted more Blake Snell because I think in drafts I've done, he's going after Hunter Green. I'm going to take Hunter Green on this one, though. Uh, the one pitch pitcher thing is interesting because the slider is what changed his career. I remember, you know, he was out here. I was actually at the ballpark when he blew out his arm and uh, the quads over in a good year when that happened. I've just been around him a whole bunch. I remember talking to a couple of minor leaguers and they said he throws fast, but it's just straight down the pipe, you know, and mm-hmm. you're going to hit those things. And that the, and it was actually very similar to Michael Kopech and Michael Kopech's development where it was just like, the secondaries were not working and the minor leagues was bad. And then as soon as it got to the majors, it just worked and then it fell apart again. The thing I like about Hunter Green is that slider. That slider has become such a dominant thing of where it wasn't before. Through 40% of the time, batters had a 170 average against it, a 38% whiff overall. But you're not wrong about the fastball. The fastball rocked uh, a 91 and a half exit velocity average that's not good that's not good for it but the slider i think is so dominant and he threw it so much in early counts that you know what you end up doing and the reason why is these guys are literally just sitting on fastball he does move it a lot though it hasn't become a straight pitch 2300 rpm on that unfortunately it's got the same spin as the slider which you'd love to have some little bit of variance between that but this is a guy that i think is going to continue to develop I think he's a huge strikeout option because he is a huge strikeout option, almost 12K per nine. What I hate is the team context. I hate the run support that's around him. That worries me overall. And that's where like, I take the big Ks and I think the step he's going to make. And then I go over to Blake Snell and I look and I say, okay, well, he doesn't really get deep into games, but boy, does he have some backdrop with all of those uh, Padres guys who can, you know, just run support overall. I just think Snell is just really stubborn still. He's just like, we all stop throwing the change up. Like it doesn't work. Like just fit, do, do what works. And he doesn't do what works. He wants to do what he wants to do. And that keeps having mixed results. And I don't really like that. So I'm actually going to go with like the really high, high strikeout pitcher who has this dominant slider. And that's the way you become a dominant two pitch pitcher in baseball is have a crazy slider that is complemented with a 100 plus mile per hour fastball. So I think these guys are razor thin close, but I am actually going to go with the guy that has a little bit of a more poor context in Hunter Green. You know what's crazy though? As good as the slider is for Hunter Green Welsh, Snell's slider has like a 46% whiff rate. Yeah. It's one of the yeah, best in baseball. Yeah, I just crazy. wish he would throw it more. If there's throw one, it 40% of the time. Yeah. Throw it 50% of the time, please. Yeah. yeah. Do go full on Patrick Corbin and just make it your your top yeah. thrown pitch. Like that is what Blake Snell should do. And if there's ever a year for him to stop being stubborn and do exactly that, a contract year might just be the year to do it. So I am talking myself into Blake Snell. It's like, why would you take Tyler Glass now 30 picks earlier when you could take Blake Snell? I really don't I see a that. huge difference between those two. So famous last words, but I am in on Blake Snell this year, man. I was completely out, but I, I, I have a good feeling about Blake Snell this upcoming season. Let's 24% get- slider. 24% yeah. slider. Let's make that 35% and let's dumb down the fastball a little bit and let's dumb down the change up to 0%. Let's Dude, do that. 50% fastball. 35% slider, 15% curve. Just don't even Thank don't you. even throw another changeup. And Blake Snell could be awesome if he just goes down that route. Let's take a little break from the uh, ADP battles here. I do have some news and notes that I want to get to. Lots of stuff going on as, uh, you know, training camps are starting up. Training camps, that's a football thing. Spring training camps, I guess you call mm-hmm. it that. Uh, news and notes. The White Sox signed Elvis Andrus to a one-year deal. Andrus is expected to play second base for the team. And... Man, turn back the clocks last year. 17 home runs, 18 seals. He was a top 120 player in Roto last year. Turning 35 years old, uh, Towers, obviously, look, I don't think there's much upside, but in very deep leagues, Elvis Andrews might have some value. You are muted, sir. 
Number two. There's a train going by. Uh, yeah, like I, I don't think he's going to hit 17 home runs again. I, I think 18 steals, that seems possible, actually, given, you know, I know his sprint speed metrics are pretty bad at this point, but given the rule changes, I think like 15 to 20 is not a bad guess. It is a very good home park, though. And that's one thing, you know, playing in Chicago, he had his expected home runs last year playing a full season in Chicago would have been 18 which is right what he hit. Now he's not going to play every game there. So I don't think 18, but like he could be a sneaky 12 homers, you know, 18 steals guy. And that's probably a viable starting second baseman in a 15 team league, at least. Yep. And ADP for Elvis Andrews right now is 378. That will jump around 50 picks. It is not going to jump to the level that represents the upside. I can't believe I'm saying upside for Elvis Andrews. Yeah, look, but look, the upside is, is like, like we, I mentioned like Gene Segura as a shortstop or a sure. second baseman that I like. I, I think that's the kind of upside you're talking about, but I think it could be a similar profile for Elvis Andrus. But yeah, I think you could get 50. If you got 15, 15 out of Andrus, no one would probably bat an eye. And guess what? It's probably what you're going to get out of like Ezekiel Tovar. And Tovar is going a lot higher. He's just, he's old. He's 16, whatever, 14 years sans uh, Tovar's age. And he has a decent opportunity to even outproduce. I actually think he's kind of a steal way, way back into leagues, especially if you screw up second base, which is pretty easy to do this year. Yeah, and he's going to go 75 to 100 picks after both of those guys that you mentioned, Gene Segura and Ezekiel Tovar. Stalling Marte disclosed Sunday that he underwent surgery to repair separated tendons in both of his groins during the offseason, but expects to be ready for opening day. And at first, I was confused because the Mets have been listing Marte as having core muscle surgery. I guess, look, clearly I am no doctor because I did not associate <laughs> groin as a core muscle, but it is. I guess it's, it's, yeah, like it's all kind of linked together. The adductor muscle, right. I, I think, is like kind of, you know, connects to the, the groin and the, the abdomen. So I think that's probably what it was. A lot of groin talk making me uncomfortable, guys. Yeah, I mean, does, <laughs> does this make, I mean, we're already kind of getting a little nervous about Marte. Like, uh, does this kind of take him off any of your boards? Doesn't take me off. I don't know if it takes him off my board, but I think I was being a little dismissive of the injury overall. That, like you and I, Frank, we talked about yep. this. We we're like, ah, we like you know Marte around the '90s and '80s that he's falling and stuff like that. You see that. I think what's important is to follow the breadcrumbs of his recovery and you know his path of playing and you know really follow the words that they're saying. Like it's great that he had that, but what is that going to do to opening day? What is that going to do to the season? That's going to be the real indicator. It's probably going to take a, I think a week or so. Um, Monday is the day that all of the hitters are going to be reporting to camps and stuff. And see, let's see what that looks like. But he's definitely going to move down because we've talked about this before. It's one thing to be injury prone. It's another thing to be coming into the season mm-hmm. with an injury. And that's something that I think we all agree we really don't want to do is step in and draft capital on a guy that is coming in with an injury already. Especially a 34-year-old outfielder who was yeah. already had trouble staying healthy. Apparently, Francisco Lindor has been dealing with an appendix issue dating back to August of 2021, but is feeling better after undergoing an appendectomy in October. Phillies manager Rob Thompson said Trey Turner is likely to open the season as their leadoff hitter. And Towers, I expect uh, RBI down, but runs, steals. I think we can get back to 35, 35 to 40 plus steals for Trey Turner. Yeah, I think it's a. It doesn't really change how I view him. It's just the the shape of the production will be a little different. But the nice thing about Trey Turner is we've seen over the past couple of seasons is when he's not hitting for as much power, he tends to run more. I think he's you know clearly an elite option no matter what. Mariners manager Scott Service said Julio Rodriguez could run more this season. J Rod only had four steals in the second half, but had twenty five overall. Said this last week. My most likely candidates to go 30-30 this year, Ronald Acuna is 1A, and Julio Rodriguez is 1B. So, uh, yes, I think that's very likely. Had a few players back out of the World Baseball Classic. Clayton Kershaw is out for Team USA, and Kodai Senga is out for Japan. Worth noting with Clayton Kershaw, it's not he's not hurt or anything. It was an insurance thing. He couldn't get uh, the insurance coverage for to be cleared to play, which is one that- of the necessities for the MLB players. 
that's what I was curious about because I don't know if you guys watched the interview. Like it was kind of depressing. Like he seemed yeah, upset. He, he, like you could yeah. tell that there was a there was strife somewhere, and I thought it was mm-hmm. pushed a little bit more towards the team because he was like, "It's really unfortunate. I want to be there," and he didn't get into it. And then I saw that there was some insurance, like a two hundred thousand yeah. dollar policy that was going around. That. Yeah, they they just that couldn't get the insurance. That that's one of the necess- necessities for MLB players to be cleared for World Baseball Classic. Probably the best thing for everybody. If we're all Probably. being honest here, let's not have him waste those innings in the WBC. I was pretty nervous myself when I first saw Kershaw was pitching there. So yeah, totally fine by me for fantasy purposes. Robbie Grossman agreed to a contract with the Texas Rangers this weekend. He's currently penciled in as their starting left fielder, which shifted Josh Smith to the bench last year, seven home runs and six deals in 129 games after going 2020 the year before for Robbie Grossman Uh, towers, any deep sleeper appeal here for Grossman. I didn't quite understand how he went 2020 two years ago. So look, it's not impossible that he's useful, but I think it's pretty unlikely. Kevin Gosman is working on eliminating the heel tap in his delivery from the stretch to avoid MLB's new crackdown on box. As part of the introduction of the pitch clock, the league wants pitchers coming to a complete stop before beginning their delivery. And I also read that this will affect Luis Garcia of the Astros. So he's going to have to make some changes to his delivery as well. Let me throw something out to you. This is a little bit of uh, where in the world is Welsh or whatever you're calling it, Frank, whatever's (laughs) going on in my world. Um, Two teams I can confirm over the last couple of days are working on sessions in the back with a pitch clock on the field. So today I was over at the Mariners and Marco Gonzalez was pitching and they had you know, strung up on like a USB cord, just a big clock, and they just put it on the grass so he could watch. And the whole session was built around timing. And then I believe it was... It was the Padres. It was the Padres the other day that did the exact same thing with a live BP session. They got this big clock. They're putting it out there. And they're all the teams very early on are very active about the pitch clock. And they're having them watch and they're having them, them make sure. And they've got a coach that's standing right next to the pitch clock. So this is like a real big, serious thing. And Luis Garcia is the biggest culprit, as we know, of the whole thing with Rock and the Baby. So even the littlest of teams or, or the littlest of pitchers that might have an effect on it, the Marco Gonzalez's of the world, they're already working on that and teams are very very diligent about it in spring training. Aaron Boone said that he envisions Josh Donaldson as the team's starting third baseman this season. I'm not complete completely buying it, but you know, willing to be wrong on that one. Speaking of the Yankees, DJ LeMahieu confirmed that he's 100% heading into spring training will will face no limitations. He opted against surgery on his toe this offseason. Towers Good news for you. Byron Buxton reported to Twins camp last Friday and does not have any limitations to begin spring training. He underwent arthroscopic knee surgery in late September. Adalberto Mondesi has started baseball activities as he rehabs from a torn ACL that he suffered, I think, in April of last year. It was very early on in the season. Mets top prospect Francisco Alvarez is likely to begin the season at AAA, according to Abby Mastracco of the Daily News. Welsh... Does this mean we should be uh, lowering our expectations for Alvarez this season in redraft leagues? Yeah, I think so. Um, I'm still a little baffled at any team and how any team is approaching this rookie stuff. I mean, this was a prime example of a team being able to take advantage of maybe getting, um, you know, the extra rookie eligibility for an extra draft pick, but why some teams are doing it and why are some not. I legit think that, you know, a couple of the, maybe the biggest preseason prospects that people are looking at in Matt Mervis and Francisco Alvarez probably going to start in AAA, which is going to blow a lot of people's minds. And there might be a couple surprises. Like if a guy like Jordan Walker makes it, I think it's going to blow everybody's mind how Alvarez and Matt Mervis can't. And it's just kind of back to manipulation games and stuff. But yeah, I would probably push Alvarez down a little bit. He was already a little bit fringy in redraft anyways this year. This is a little bit more telling because he was really going to be probably sitting in that DH role. And that's something you could easily do, especially for a guy that already got time. Put him in the DH role. Let him learn a little bit at the majors. If that's not the case, then why? Is it about financial control? Is it, Or is it about his ability to play? And that seems a little bit with the Mets that this is an ability to play type of thing. I think it's all about development. Everything I've read is that the Mets want him to be a catcher for the team and they don't want him to be, you know, a 75% of your playing time at DH, 25% a catcher. They want him to come up when he's ready to be the team's catcher. So I think he needs to go back down and 
He needs to work but on what, his defensive what, ability. What better way to be at the majors and every day you can work with the coaches, you can work with an MLB professional catcher, you can hit in a lineup to learn how to be a better hitter, and then you can spell a guy every two days. That's a It's a wild developmental thing. But I think to your point, you're right about this, by the way, it is development. But I think it maybe shows that we are a little too head in the development of what we want from him than what the team sees in him. The thing is, he's also catching, if he's on the roster, he's catching Major League veterans, right? Like he's got to be able yeah. to call a game. We're talking about Verlander and Scherzer and well-established pitchers, and then you have Kodai Senga in there too. So maybe there's a translator. Like there's a lot going on. So I get it. Like I want to see Alvarez too, but you know if the, the catching is not ready, then it's, it's not ready. always so. the tough thing with ca- top catcher prospects in fantasy is that guys being catchers helps their real life fantasy standing or their real life prospect standing, but. It also takes a while. Like catchers develop really slowly. They often struggle because they're, you know, effectively learning many more skills than your typical prospects has to. So it's, you know, it's always a little frustrating. I feel like catcher, these top catcher prospects might tend to flame out a little bit more. Um, I don't, you know, I haven't done the research on that, but that's, that's one anecdotal thought that I have. Now, I'm not saying that's going to happen with Francisco Alvarez. just to say that like you, ha- you have to treat them with different expectations than your typical prospect, I think. Yeah. And little did you know that going into your drafts this year, if you were paying attention in November, that come February, Gabriel Moreno is exponentially more valuable than Francisco Alvarez. <laughs> yeah. And that is the case. Yeah, yeah, and, and it just has to do with opportunity, at least early on here. Red Sox manager Alex Cora mentioned Alex Verdugo and Enrique Hernandez as players he'd like to see steal more bases this season. I, I feel like both are Let's athletic do. enough to do it, so yes, please, give us I all mean, the steals. One steal for Enrique Hernandez and two for Alex Verdugo would technically count as more. So, <laughs> yes. Yikes. All right. Uh, love to see this happening uh, last weekend. Uh, I guess on Friday last week. Liam Hendricks is working out at White Sox camp and through a bullpen session on Friday. We won't know more about his availability until opening day. A few players banged up early on in camp. Lance McCullers has been temporarily shut down with arm soreness. Again, you know. Uh, grass is green, sky is blue. Mm-hmm. Uh, the guy has a lot of talent. You just can't stay on the field. Felix Bautista, don't love this one. The Mountain is expected to be game ready by mid-March. That's what they're saying. But he's dealing with knee and shoulder issues. And they've already mentioned other closing candidates if something were to happen. that Just hearing stuff like that, it, it kind of scares me when it comes to Felix Bautista. Cody Morris is dealing with uh, lat discomfort. Brian Bayo has been shut down after feeling soreness in his right forearm. And Mike Soroka is dealing with hamstring tightness. Ooh, 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 Frank. Michael Soroka. I, I put yes. some respect on that name, Frank. He is now wanting to be referred to as Michael Soroka, no longer Mike. Okay, so. all right. That's a little... Uh, <laughs> Little nod to Nicholas Castellanos a couple of years ago, too. So, (laughs) good to know. Let's take one more break and we'll be back right after this. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more for way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long for just $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. Nothing beats a weekend away with the family in the great outdoors, whether it's camping, hiking, river rafting, or anything in between. With third-row seating, nobody is left out. The entire family can experience the thrill together. And nobody wants a dead phone. Available dual wireless charging pads make it so nobody gets stuck and we can check our fantasy baseball teams together. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. 
All right. Well, everyone knows that the Welsh is out there in Arizona. He's visiting different spring uh, spring training facilities and very excited to learn what he uh, is finding out while he's out there. And uh, we've got a new little segment here. It's called What's the Word with the Welsh? That's it. That's it. I love that song. It's great. I have my own music. That's awesome. Let's do it. Uh, so let's start off with uh, Jacob DeGrom, who is dealing with left side soreness. You saw him standing out with Greg Maddox, but you also kind of heard some whispers that like uh, the Rangers aren't that worried about it. What do you have there? Yeah. Yeah, so uh, I told you Wednesday, they were one of the few camps that opened up. They started really late. The word spreading around was that he was uh, not going to pitch and he was dealing with the thing. But what I heard uh, spattering from a few personnel people was no one was worried about it. It was not a big deal. It was cold. It was really cold. I know people laugh. It's 37 degrees both days. So this picture comes from Saturday where I was able to escape a little bit before some uh, child duties. And I went over to the Rangers facility and Jacob DeGrom walking around. And sure enough, Greg Maddox is right there. And they were kind of attached at the hip for quite a while, talking, going through baseball stuff. He was watching Nate Eovaldi, Nathan Eovaldi, put some respect on that. And um, Andrew Heaney and Ian Kennedy all pitching. He was going through, watching the motions. He then went over on a side field, watched Martin Perez pitch very involved and he pitched today he was able to throw a session today i did not get to make it but he threw a session uh all was good as far as i heard i think it was very light i think he was throwing around I don't, to be honest with you this is from two hand different people i personally know he was warming up and throwing with everybody but i believe he threw a light session back there as well so that's good news that's good news everybody got really overblown and believe me my text blew up with everybody going ah well you idiot look at he's already injured again and i was like eh, it's not as big of a deal as you think it is so i don't know maybe you got a discount in drafts if you drafted within three days of the J- of the great jacob de grom scare of 2023 yeah, and DeGrom, you mentioned it, dealing with left side soreness. He uh, played catch on Sunday. The plan is for him to uh, to throw another session on Monday, but not going to pitch in games, at least not Ooh. this upcoming week. Uh, this you want, you want to know a secret? What's up? I'm going to be over there tomorrow. Oh. I actually, that is my plan is to be over at the Rangers on Monday or today as you guys are listening to this. So be on the lookout for me filming this session because, okay, that's what it was. He threw and played catch. Tomorrow's a full session, and I will be there. All right. Let's talk about Fernando Tatis Jr. You got a picture here of him working out in right field. Towers, I'll work you back in for this one. We should have mentioned this when we you know, were talking about Tatis on our shortstop preview, but early on in the season, I think he's eligible to return April 20th. By the end of April, Tatis will have outfield eligibility, assuming he's healthy for all those games. So just adds something extra to his value. Yeah, I mean, like we've talked about, shortstop is the deepest position and uh, outfield is not. I think outfield, relatively speaking, is probably right there with third base and second base. I think there are more viable options at outfield. They're just, it seems like every mid-range outfielder outside of the top like eight is like, if this guy stays healthy. And so, you know, obviously that is also a caveat that we can apply to Fernando Tatis, but if this guy stays healthy, yeah. he's going to be one of the three or four best players in fantasy. Yeah, it kind of threw me off too because I wasn't like thinking about it. But they did this whole session. Machado, I have a picture of that Machado, Nelson Cruz, Xander Bogarts. Um, they were all Hassan Kim. They all did a full run. Cronenworth wasn't there, and then when Tatis was with them, he ran out to right field, and I was like, "Oh yeah, this is where he's going to go." I just didn't process to me, and he stayed out a little bit after uh, working some more outfield drills, and he's been a little bit more attached to Juan Soto, which really just gives more confirmation what everybody needs to know is it is going to be outfield, and it looks like right field is the spot again. Probably something we all kind of knew. All right. Well, talk to me about two pitching prospects that you have video of. Bryce Miller with the Seattle Mariners apparently throwing a new pitch. And you got to see Jack Leiter with the Rangers, former second overall pick and struggled big time in his first season at double A. Seemed like an aggressive assignment and obviously did not work out for him. Talk to me about, about those two and which one you'd rather have more in Dynasty right now. Ooh, that's a great question. Okay, so first, Leiter was the first one that I saw. Uh, interestingly enough, yeah, sorry, probably going to Bryce Miller. Yeah, Leiter, uh, Leiter w- threw a really good session. Um, it, it's funny enough, if you watch the video, I almost did this, but I didn't want to do it. If you watch the full video, I almost wanted to tag people and be like, can you find the catcher that Kumar Rocker was throwing to? Because Kumar Rocker is throwing in here. You just can't see him. And there is a pitch in here where you're like, oh, okay, we're back to Kumar Rocker stuff. <laughs> Jack Leiter did not have that. And he was actually working. Mike Mike Maddox was locked into him. 
locked into him. And um, I mentioned this before. There was, from what I was told, there was a little bit of stuff in the off season about potentially like lighters camp wanting to throw a very specific way, maybe a little bit more. I want to say it was more vertical pitching and the team wanted him to throw a little bit more horizontally. Maybe you're getting a little bit more of that happening as he's working in a big league camp. I thought he looked good. I mean, he's working with big leaguers. He's commanding really solid. It's good. Bryce Miller though is one of my favorites and I got to go and uh, talk with him a little bit and he had a session in this video you'll see this is just one pitch but he's working against Tom Murphy who's major leaguer uh, catcher Tom Murphy and he strikes him out and Tom Murphy immediately goes nice pitch right after a nice one he says as he strikes him out and I asked Tom after that I'm like what was that and he's like I was a slider and as we're watching the video here you can see this slider goes in here so after I asked Bryce Miller about it and he goes I'm actually throwing two sliders now I'm throwing a sweeper, which this pitch was, and he's throwing a gyro. And I was like, buddy, that's not fair. And he laughed about it because and I said, well, what is the what is this going to look like as far as the pitching? He's like, well, the sweeper I can command really well right now and I'm working on this. So you've got a guy that's throwing two different sliders with a fantastic fastball, one of the best pitchers in the system. I gotta be honest with you. I am a Jack Leiter apologist still. I'm, I still believe in him. The team still believes in him. And I think maybe a lot of that tutelage of him versus maybe what the organization wanted to do played into it last year. And I think they're going to simplify it. But I think Bryce Miller's the play here. Bryce Miller is a really, really smart pitcher. He's a modest dude who knows baseball. He's super smart. And a guy that's throwing these two different sliders with a, a couple other offerings and a big fastball and striking out big league pitchers already – I think Bryce Miller is wildly underrated. We gave you Brandon Fott um, a couple months back, and we're giving you Bryce Miller if you're not on it. He's an easy top 100 prospect, and I would take him over Jack Leiter. All right, there you go. What's the word with the Welsh? Let's wrap up a little rapid fire here with the other ADP battles that I had. I'll just throw uh, one of these each your way, and then you just give me a quick thought or two on the player you want most. Taros will come to you. I got a relief pitcher one here. Devin Williams versus Jordan Romano versus Ryan Presley. They're all going between picks 55 and 66. Which closer do you want most? I think I would go with Romano. I just think there's a bit more security in uh, him being the guy to get saves for his team. But I think all three of them are are pretty awesome. I, I would say Ryan Presley's probably third of them just because the sample size of him pitching at the level that he did last year is smaller. I know he, you know, came out throwing harder and, and that was the the thing about it. But we we see with relievers a lot, guys have really good seasons and then can't sustain it. So I, I just I'm a little more wary there. Each of Romano and Presley had have 59 saves over the past two years. Mm-hmm. And last season Presley 28.6% K minus walk rate. Eighth best among qualified relievers, but he's a little bit older, 34 years old. He went on the IL twice last year, so really good team I, context. But you know, the age and injuries, I, I worry about that too. To be clear, I heard Ryan Helsley ah. when you met, read those names. <laughs> well, does so that change anything? Would you take my, Ryan Presley first? I would group? still take Romano okay. over Presley, but I think it's much closer. And then those three, yeah, Helsley would be behind all three of those. All right, fair enough. Welsh, you get Wander Franco versus Tim Anderson. Franco at 84th overall, Tim Anderson at 88th. Kind of interesting that they both got off to phenomenal starts last year, but then derailed by injury. So which one would you rather have at a deep shortstop position? I feel like some people are not going to like it because, you know, Tim Anderson is definitely a floor player. It's kind of like Eloy all over again. Well, I don't know what it is with the White Sox. All these players where it's like if they could just play, if Luis Robert could just play a full season, if Eloy could play a full season, if Tim Anderson could just play a full season, and he doesn't. I love the batting average. I like the floor on the stolen bases and the power, but I just don't I don't have any optimism that it's going to end up working out and like long term because it just hasn't been. Wander Franco has got you know the batting average floor, 96% LXBA. Max EV is up there. I would like the hard hit to get a little bit better. It doesn't strike out. And you know if you look at that first month that Wander Franco had before the injury, he was setting to be a 2020 guy. I'm not saying he's necessarily going to be, but I really think he can get there. You could argue that what Wander Franco is going to do in a full season is what Tim Anderson will do in 100 games. Well, guess what? That's probably what Tim Anderson's going to do. So and Tim Anderson's <laughs> floor is probably 15-15 because he doesn't stay out there. So I've got Wander Franco over him on a little bit more upside at a very deep shortstop position. All right, let's slide over to second base. One of these names I know Chris likes quite a bit, but does he like him more than Jorge Polanco? Towers, Towers will come to you. Polanco is going at 146th. Brandon Lau going three picks later at 149th. If you miss out on the early round second baseman, 
We've got some bounce back candidates here going in round 13. Who do you have? I would guess I'm, I haven't looked on fantasy pros, but I would guess I'm one of the high guys on Brandon Lau. Uh, it's 104 overall for me. Jorge Polanco, 129. So Polanco, not far off from his ADP, but I'm much higher on Brandon Lau than the ADP. I just, when you're asking me to pick between two guys with iffy health, I'm going to take the guy that I think has more upside, and that's Brandon Lau, who, you know, has the 39 homers, but also basically since 2019, he's been right around a 35 homer guy. I think he's a legitimately very, very good power hitter. All right. And if you miss out on those two, let's go a little bit deeper at second base. Why don't we? Whit Merrifield versus Vaughn Grissom. Whit Merrifield, 168th overall. Vaughn Grissom going three picks later. This is round 15. Welsh, I don't envy you because I don't know what to do with Whit Merrifield this year. Can he get back on track? Possibly. He was a top 40 pick last year, but really fell off, started losing playing time. And Vaughn Grissom is like the young apple of our eye if he gets to play with the Atlanta Braves. So what do you think about those two? I do know what to do, and it's not draft Whit Merrifield. I'm, I'm out on Whit Merrifield. Uh, you know, aging decline performance, athleticism declines as you get closer to 35. Stolen bases tanked. He's going to hit eight or nine in Toronto. It's still great. Uh, me and uh, Scott Bogman were talking about it. Like hitting nine for Toronto might be as good or on par with hitting two for Kansas City. So you could look <laughs> at it like that. But I'm I'm over Whit Merrifield. I'm over especially using him as like a safety blanket to why I can get stolen bases. I leave open the opportunities that sure he could steal a little bit more, even though Toronto doesn't do that. And he stole like one base with the team the entire time. Batting average is declining. Homers are going at best. He's like a medium sized three category player. Vaughn Grissom has got some worries. This, this whole like Orlando Arcia would play over him, which I do not believe for one second, but he's a better talent. And if you're talking about like these middle infielders late in drafts, I'm going to take the guy that's got 2020 upside easy with a lot of room to grow on a fantastic lineup in Vaughn Grissom. I have no interest in Whit Merrifield this year. All right. Well, as someone who has drafted two shares of Whit Merrifield so far, don't feel too great about that. And I can't say that I disagree. So, you know what? I think I've got to reevaluate here and figure out what I'm doing in these drafts. I'm gonna, we're going to wrap there for the Chris's. The Chris. I am Frank. Thank you all for listening and watching Fantasy Baseball today. We'll be back again tomorrow. It's Starting Pitcher Preview Part 1. Bye-bye. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.